This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I'm Professor of Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by David, uh, Dr. David Lipson, who's the first author of an article entitled Reduction in All-Cause Mortality with Fluticasone, Umaclidinib and Volantrol in COPD Patients, which was published in the Blue Journal last month. Also joining us is Dr. Jorgen Vesfo, who wrote the accompanying editorial. Dr. Lipson is with the Clinical Science Group at GlaxoSmithKline and an adjunct associate professor of medicine at the Perelman School of Medicine in the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Wesso is professor of respiratory medicine at the University of Manchester uh, in the UK. Uh, Jorgen, if I could start with you, uh, before we discuss pharmacological therapy, what other treatments have been shown to decrease mortality in patients with COPD? There are not that many, but it also depends a lot on what evidence you require to say that there is an effect on mortality. If we look at controlled clinical trials, which have shown an effect of an intervention compared to placebo or another intervention, we know smoking cessation reduces mortality in COPD. We also know that in a subset of patients with predominantly upper lobe, upper lobe emphysema and low baseline exercise capacity in the NET trial, there was an effect on mortality. Uh, and finally, we know from old studies that in patients with stable COPD and chronic type 2 respiratory failure, long-term oxygen therapy decreases mortality. Uh, that's when we look at stable COPD. We actually have equally little evidence in acute exacerbations, but non-invasive ventilation in patients with acute exacerbations and type 2 respiratory failure has an effect on mortality. But that's if we look at randomized controlled trials. I think very few people would argue that, for instance, increased uh, physical activity following pulmonary rehabilitation would not reduce mortality, as increased physical activity has a number of effects, including effects on mortality in the general population and in other chronic diseases. But if we look at pure clinical trials in stable COPD, we only have smoking cessation, volume reduction surgery in a subgroup of COPD patients and long-term oxygen therapy in those with type 2 respiratory failure. Now, it seems we've been debating whether pharmacologic therapy decreases mortality in COPD for many years. Uh, can you describe the previous studies that have assessed mortality as the primary outcome? Yes, I think the problem with pharmacological therapy is that there hasn't been that many studies. Um, I think the sort of landmark study in the area was the TORCH trial, which had the aim of examining the effect of combined fluticasone propionate and salmeterol versus placebo on mortality in stable COPD. And although it did reduce mortality, the effect did not reach statistical significance once there was an adjustment for an interim analysis. And the study findings have been debated for long. The second study, including an inhaled corticosteroid at least, was the SUMMIT trial, which was a trial in patients who only had moderate COPD, but they're all at increased risk of having comorbid cardiovascular disease. Uh, again, it was a 
comparison between a combination of an inhaled corticosteroid and long-acting beta agonist and placebo, and there was no effect on mortality. That was a sign, but clearly not significant. The only other trial which has had a mortality as a primary outcome was the TUSPIA trial, which was actually designed to see if there was an increased mortality in patients who were getting teotropium in one device compared to in another device. So there was, and there was no difference in that study, but it wasn't really set up to assess a reduction in mortality. So that's all we know. But of course, from several trials, we have looked at mortality either in meta-analysis of mortality registered as a singular outcome or safety signal. And of course, then we come into problems because mortality hasn't been assessed in those who left the study. Um, it, even though I think all physicians can see whether a patient is dead or alive, there can be problems in how it's assessed with exact dates and so on. So the evidence has been fairly scarce, and that is what has been led on reliance of pharmacoepidemiology and, as I said, of secondary analysis of pooled data from a number of the trials. Now, David, your paper is based on the IMPACT study, which was published two years ago. Um, can you summarize this study and the primary findings? Sure, we'd be happy to. So, uh, you know, as a reminder, IMPACT was a large study in patients with COPD. Uh, we enrolled 10,355 patients, and we compared triple therapy with an inhaled steroid, LAMA, and LAVA. And we used fluticasone furoate, eumeclidinium, and valanterol. And we compared it to the dual components of so the ICS LAVA and LAMA LAVA. Now, the co-primary treatment, treatment comparisons in IMPACT were the rate of moderate to severe COPD exacerbations in triple compared to both dual therapies. And the population that we studied was a population with symptomatic COPD that was at risk of exacerbation. So what we uh, saw was that the mean age of, of patients within the trial was about 65 years. Uh, and they had fixed airflow obstruction. Their FEV1% predicted was 45% of predicted. And interestingly, about 70% had two or more moderate or one severe, meaning hospitalized COPD exacerbation in the prior year. So this was a frequently exacerbating population. It was a sick population, and it actually was the exact population that we, we uh, hoped to study. So an important aspect that was unique about IMPACT that I think we, we need to discuss because it will probably lead on to some of the other questions that we discussed later on today, um, was that we allowed patients to run in on their own COPD medications prior to randomization. So unlike previous studies, we had no artificial stabilization or withdrawal of therapy uh, in the IMPACT trial prior to randomization because that's what really happens in real life. Right? A patient comes into a physician and a physician makes a change. So we specifically allowed this to improve the generalizability of the impact results. So what did we see? So the primary endpoint, we saw a statistically significant reduction in the rate of moderate and severe exacerbations on triple therapy compared to both duels. 15% reduction compared to ICS-LAVA and 25% reduction in exacerbations compared to LAMA-LAVA. We also saw an improvement in lung function and health-related quality of life compared to the duels. And importantly, a 13% reduction in hospitalization 
compared to ICS lava, although that wasn't statistically significant, and actually a 34% reduction in COPD hospitalizations on triple therapy compared to llama lava in this patient population. And finally, we saw a 42% reduction in the risk of on-treatment all-cause mortality. So that's uh, mortality while patients are taking investigational therapy and a 28% reduction in all-cause mortality if you include the off-treatment data. So that was the data uh, including uh, data after you stopped investigational therapy up to week 52. So kind of the, the ITT. Thanks. Now your, your recent paper is a post hoc analysis of the impact study. Why did you do this and, and what additional data uh, was analyzed? Yeah, so the reason that we did the study was actually because 574 patients in the original trial had to be censored from the original on-off treatment analysis at week 52 because of missing vital status data. So uh, while that number actually doesn't sound like a lot out of 10,355 patients, in fact, the number of missing uh, patient data at week 52 was actually larger than the number of deaths within the study. So really to ensure a robust database uh, and to confirm the findings that we observed in the uh, impact trial, we actually went back to the sites and also used publicly available data uh, where we're legally allowed to, to find the vital status at week 52. We felt that these, uh, this data was really too important for patients and for physicians. Um, and when we went back, and gathered this additional data, we now had the vital status data in week 52 for 99.6% of the original population. And how was all-cause mortality defined? So all deaths actually within the trial were independently adjudicated. And we looked at both uh, on-treatment death, again, death while the patient were, was taking investigational therapy, as well as including the off-treatment data as well. Um, and the independent adjudicators um, looked at the, at the death data and then determined whether this was a respiratory death, a cardiovascular death, a cancer death, or, or something else. And what we saw were lower rates of both respiratory death and cardiovascular death, as well as death associated with the patient's underlying COPD uh, when they were on a triple therapy compared to llama lava. So we really kind of confirmed uh, what was initially observed in the uh, original study. Okay. Now, what were the primary findings of this study? Well, as I mentioned, I think we, we wanted to confirm our original findings. And what, uh, what we saw was that the on-treatment findings don't change. So again, we saw a 42% reduction in the risk of all-cause mortality on triple therapy compared to llama lava. The p-value was 0.011. And we also confirmed a statistically significant 28% reduction in all-cause mortality when we included the off-treatment data. Here, the p-value was 0.042. Now, the other thing that we did was that we also uh, looked at multiple kind of sensitivity analyses to show that the findings uh, were robust to missing data. So, you know, as I mentioned, we were missing about 42 subjects out of the 10,355, and that included uh, nine patients who were on triple therapy during the study and 15 who were on uh, llama lava. But importantly, 
even in the worst case scenario, uh, when we assumed that all patients who were missing on triple therapy died immediately when they left the study, and all patients on Lama-Laba were alive, we still saw a clinically relevant 20% uh, reduction in the risk of all-cause mortality in the study. Um, and so what that says is that the trial is actually robust to missing data. So although we had 99.6% uh, of the population, we were missing 42 out of the over 10,000 patients, we are very confident that we are now robust to the missing data. Why do you think that the decrease in all mortality was more definitive in this analysis? And what are your reasons, um, or what are the reasons for the reduced mortality? Yeah, it's, it's really a great question. So, you know, we believe that the reduction that we saw in all-cause mortality was because, quite frankly, we looked at the, at the right population. So we looked at a, a, a symptomatic, frequently exacerbating population who were at high risk of exacerbation, they were at risk of hospitalization and therefore death. So if you recall, we saw a 34% reduction in severe exacerbations, meaning hospitalized exacerbations, when we compare triple therapy with uh, Lama-Lava. So really what that's saying is that we're, we're keeping people out of the hospital. And we know that there is significant morbidity and mortality uh, associated with hospitalization. So we believe that by keeping people out of the hospital, we are then impacting upon their risk of, of death. Uh, and actually this was confirmed by looking at our adjudicated data because we saw lower rates of respiratory death and cardiovascular death on triple therapy compared to Lama-Lava. So we think that by keeping people out of the hospital, uh, we're affecting mortality. And I think that that makes uh, good uh, clinical sense as well. Is it possible the difference in all-cause mortality was due to the acute withdrawal of inhaled corticosteroids? So that's something that we've uh, discussed and, and looked at quite closely. So recall that about 77% uh, of patients came into the study on an inhaled corticosteroid-containing medication. But we had a two-to-two-to-one randomization uh, in the trial. And so because of the two to two to one randomization scheme, actually only about 15% of patients actually underwent ICS withdrawal. So what that means is that 85% of the overall population didn't have ICS withdrawal in the trial. But what we did see was that the patients who came into impact on an inhaled steroid containing medication actually had greater risk than those who did not. So what we saw is that patients who came in on an inhaled steroid actually had more hospitalizations in the prior year uh, and also exacerbated at a higher rate during the trial on all the arms of the study. So regardless of arm, uh, we saw higher rates of exacerbations in those patients who were on an ICS than those who were not. And what we saw was a statistically significant reduction in all-cause mortality in those patients who came into the study on ICS, but actually did not observe a reduction in mortality in the relatively smaller subset who came in not on an, on an inhaled steroid. Um, and what it really appeared was is that those patients, those who came in not on an ICS, were at lower risk of death, um, and we were probably less able to, to see a difference. 
But actually, it makes sense because rec you know international guidelines suggest the use of inhaled steroids in our sicker patients. So it makes sense that those patients who came into impact on an ICS probably were at higher risk than those who were not on an inhaled steroid. Now, you already mentioned that you still had missing data on 42 patients, which is admittedly a very small number. Do you think this had any potential impact on your findings? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. We actually went to great lengths uh, to try to get every patient uh, that was in the study. We wanted to understand the vital status at, at week 52. But unfortunately, primarily because of privacy laws uh, in various countries around the world, um, we were unable to, to find every person's vital status at week 52 uh, from the trial. However, I thought we, we did a pretty good job and we were able to find everyone except for 42 patients out of the 10,355. So that uh, corresponds to 99.6% of the overall population. So it's actually pretty interesting um, you know, may, maybe uh, for, for a future podcast, we can talk about privacy law. I learned quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because some countries um, assume that all privacy is lost when, once, a patient, uh, once a patient dies and so allows publicly available information to be used in clinical trials. However, there are countries around the world that feel that if you die, uh, you can no longer consent after death. So you're not allowed to use uh, this, this data within a clinical trial. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, as I mentioned, we did multiple tipping point analyses and sensitivity, sensitivity analyses. And uh, we demonstrated that even in the worst case scenario, again, where you know, all the missing patients on triple therapy were assumed dead at the time they left the trial, and all those who were on Lama Lava were alive, we still saw a clinically relevant 20% reduction in uh, all-cause mortality. So we believe that the findings uh, in this study are very robust to missing data. Okay, now just to finish off this part of the discussion, uh, what are the strengths and limitations uh, of your study? Well, IMPACT was a very large study. So I think that that's you know, clearly a strength. It was performed globally uh, in over 10,000 patients in 37 countries around the world. And we, we also had a very well characterized population. So we really knew a lot about uh, each of the patients who, who entered the study. Um, and importantly, we were also very inclusive uh, in terms of our inclusion criteria. And we really designed it to be kind of as real world as possible. So when we actually sat down and were designing IMPACT, we wanted to study the exact patients that clinicians were seeing in their offices every day. We wanted to make sure that the population was generalizable to clinical practice. And I think ultimately that's exactly what we succeeded in doing. The, the patients, you know, and the demographics and the characteristics of the patients within impact are very generalizable to a COPD population that is seen uh, around the world. I guess from a limitation standpoint, one of the things I would probably highlight would be the fact that uh, impact was only a 52 week study. So when we looked at previous mortality studies, uh, a lot of those studies were two to three years in length. Um, but really that was to ensure that those studies had enough events to see and uh, a difference in, in, in risk of mortality. But I think because of the population that we we're studying, again, it was, a, it was a frequently exacerbating population, symptomatic COPD, we actually were able to see a difference uh, in a study of uh, one year of duration. 
Now, Jürgen, if I could come back to you, how do these results compare with previous studies that also used mortality as the primary outcome? Well, I think the simplest thing to say is that there are probably no larger discrepancies, but the studies are very different. I think we should remember that the, the TORCH study, which a lot of people still cite, I think we drafted the protocol almost 20 years ago. And at that time, things were very different. Mortality studies had not been done before. So basically, that was a placebo-controlled study. Therefore, you need fewer people and you can expect bigger effects. Now, it didn't reach statistical significance, but just for comparison, the absolute risk reduction in the TORCH trial between a combined lab or ICS and placebo was 2.6%. Uh, in the impact trial, the absolute risk reduction is around 1%. And of course, it's because in the TORCH study, you could many, many years ago do a placebo-controlled study. Now, in the impact, it's actually a comparison between two active treatments. So in, in that respect, they're different. I think, as David said, this is the right population to study mortality in. Basically, you want a population at risk of dying. Otherwise, you cannot prevent it from happening. And I think the TORCH study, where we didn't know that much, was not enriched for risk factors. Um, there was no enrichment for exacerbations. And therefore, I think we didn't quite reach what we wanted to. In the summit trial, we went a different way and probably uh, wrongly thought that we could enrich for risk by adding patients who had uh, increased cardiovascular risk. Um, and again, do a placebo-controlled trial and therefore use moderate patients. I think in the impact study, the size and the patient chosen makes it relevant to look at mortality. And it's all going the same direction, basically. So I think it's very nice to see that you can move things, not only with regard to comparing with placebo, but also with an active treatment. And I think it's about finding that population at risk with specific features that will make it likely that the inhaled steroids can add a substantial benefit. And that was achieved in the impact trial. So moving forward, do you think it's, it will be still feasible to do additional studies on inhaled medications with mortality as the primary outcome? I actually don't think so. Um, as, as David said, one of the reasons this study could detect a difference in mortality was it was a very large trial. And I don't think that very many companies uh, will endeavor into a study with 10,000 people with inhaled medications uh, in order to show a small difference, which will, even if it's there, be debated forever by people who will not believe in big effects of, for instance, inhaled corticosteroids. What I try to allude to in my editorial is rather, why do we keep questioning that good treatments that impact on breathlessness lung function, exacerbation risk, why would we not think you could translate that into an effect on mortality? So I think in, instead, instead of going for this holy grail of having controlled trials showing everything, I think, although some people say that nothing have killed more people than common sense, I do think that sometimes you do need to sort of use your common sense and say, wait a minute, because even though the impact study has shown an impact on mortality, I think that's not the reason to treat patients. We still treat patients in order to reduce their symptoms and reduce their risk of exacerbations. If on top of this, we can use a treatment that has a proven impact on mortality, that is of course a benefit, but still that's not the driver of a treatment with an absolute risk reduction of 1%. 
So I think it's, it's fantastic to achieve this goal of reducing mortality. But when we're out treating patients, I think it's something a little bit down the list of what you would use uh, to choose treatments. You know, if, if I could also add to that, that I, I'm not sure that we could do further studies because I think we've also lost the clinical equipoise that existed when we were designing and running the uh, impact study. You know, we, we've clearly seen benefits, uh, as Jorgen mentioned, you know, in multiple aspects of, of patients on a triple therapy compared to a lamalaba. So if you had a symptomatic exacerbating population, I'm not sure that physicians would have the clinical equipoise to, to run another trial comparing a triple to lamalaba again. Thanks. So as a take-home message now, which patients with COPD should be prescribed triple therapy based on these findings? And who do you think will benefit the most with the fewer side effects? I think we need to sort of recognize that triple therapy, of course, contains two long-acting bronchodilators and an inhaled steroid. So basically, there needs to be um, an indication for each of the components. Uh, in the gold strategy document, we uh, have suggested that you start treating breathlessness with one long-acting bronchodilator. Actually, NICE in the UK thinks that if you go from a short-acting bronchodilator to a long-acting bronchodilator, you might as well choose a combined a dual long-acting bronchodilator as the first step. But basically, patients need a degree of breathlessness that uh, makes sense for giving them two long-acting bronchodilators. I think the big question therefore comes, who needs the triple compared to getting two long-acting bronchodilators? And I think that's where the balance comes in, uh, because clearly now we move to a class of drugs where there are uh, some significant side effects that we are not interested in. I'm, of course, mainly thinking about pneumonia. So first of all, there needs to be a real risk of exacerbations. And we know from several studies that still the best predictor of future exacerbations is the history of previous exacerbations. So I think there needs to be a document history of exacerbations before you put a patient on an inhaled corticosteroid. I think the impact has helped us show that it's those with the most severe exacerbations and those with the most frequent exacerbations who seem to benefit most from having an added inhaled corticosteroid. And then finally, of course, over the last few years, we have learned more and more from the value of blood eosinophils in picking patients who will either have no effect at all of adding inhaled corticosteroids or increasing effect with increasing blood eosinophils. And again, there was a secondary publication from the impact study showing in a very nice way with big numbers, what we've learned from other studies, that with blood eosinophils below 100 or 0.1, however you measure it, uh, you will not see any effect of adding an inhaled corticosteroid. When you go above that, you will see an increasing effect of adding an inhaled corticosteroid with increasing blood eosinophils. And the take in gold and many other places being once you reach like 300 uh, cells, uh, you will have problems defending not adding an inhaled corticosteroid because there is such a clear efficacy of the drug. And similarly, if you take it away in those patients, you will see an increased risk of exacerbations. So I think for triple therapy, we're getting to the patients with severe breathlessness who have frequent exacerbations and do not have low blood eosinophils. I think that will give us the trade-off that we get a sufficiently high efficacy of adding the inhaled corticosteroid that it outbalances the added risk 
of pneumonia, which we've seen in many, many studies, including the IMPACT trial. So it's about picking the right patients. Um, there are many of them, but they are the ones who will benefit. Now you just mentioned the, the gold guidelines and the, and the current guidelines suggest a step down of therapy in stable patients with COPD. Uh, do you think the findings in this paper support that recommendation? Yeah, I think my, one of my hobby horses is that gold is not a guideline. It's a strategy document and, and you need it to inspire you to make real guidelines, which are for smaller regions and of course, uh, often based on real PICO questions and, and, and great approach. But in gold, we have advocated that you could step down, for instance, take away the inhaled corticosteroid. And actually the impact trial doesn't really inform on that because we would say that that's something you would do in patients who do not have exacerbations, have very infrequent exacerbations or have low blood eosinophils uh, or increased risk of pneumonia or a history of it. Those patients are much milder or less frequently exacerbating than the ones who went into the impact trial. I think on the other hand, the impact trial shows the patients where you would not want to step down. I think they clearly demonstrate that in patients with significant symptoms, high risk of exacerbations or previous hospitalizations for exacerbations, you should be really careful in taking patients off inhaled corticosteroids. So I think although this trial is far from the advice for stepping down, it adds extra weight to where you would not want to step down. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been an excellent discussion. Um, before we finish, um, do you have any final points you want to emphasize about the study? Uh, starting with you, David? Well, um, perhaps the uh, only thing I'd like to echo is um, some of the comments that Jorgen was just making around uh, step down of uh, therapy. So in impact, about 40% of patients came into the study uh, on a triple therapy. And those patients we saw clearly had lower rates of death if they were maintained on a triple than if they were randomized to either dual therapy, either to an ICS LABA, so removal of the, of the, of the LAMA component, or if they were randomized to LAMA-LABA, so removal of the steroid. And so I think what these data show, it really demonstrates the importance of both the LAMA and the inhaled steroid to the, to the triple combination in, in this population. And although we didn't achieve statistical significance, we weren't powered, of course, to, to see this, there clearly is a trend um, toward uh, improved survival if patients are maintained on triple, then step down to either dual uh, therapy. So I agree with Jorgen. I think that uh, caution really should be maintained if, if you're considering stepping down a patient, especially uh, if they have a similar uh, characteristics to those that were enrolled in IMPACT. Jorgen, any final comments? Well, I would like to congratulate David and his colleagues on, on this very nice trial. I think it helps putting treatment into perspective and it's, uh, it's really a study of the size where you get good evidence for uh, the decisions people make based on the trial. And I think it's a very nice piece of evidence in the more severe group of COD patients. And I think my, my, my concern is always, does this translate into the patients seen in clinical practice. And as David said, it probably does uh, because they were taken fairly straight. There were not that many exclusion criteria, but it's always a problem. How do we translate this out in sort of daily clinical life? I think my, my concern is a little bit that, um, that the survival signal is definitely there, but it's 
in that particular subset of patients. They're the ones at risk of dying. And I would not want uh, physicians, clinicians to misinterpret it and say to sort of every patient who would come with the first or second exacerbation that they should definitely be put on a triple therapy because that would prevent the risk of dying. But I think used properly, this trial gives us immense value in those more severe patients. So congratulations to uh, the authors and of course to the sponsor GSK for this. Thanks. Thanks, Jorgen. You know, we had a we had a great team and we like to joke that the impact is the trial that's the, the gift that keeps on giving. And, uh, you know, we plan on be looking at these data uh, for, for months and years to come, because I think that it's a, you know, a really rich data set of patients uh, with advanced COPD and hopefully should help uh, inform clinical practice for for physicians uh, for years to come. So I'd like to thank Dr. Lipson and Vespo for doing this uh, to the listener. To read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. To listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, uh, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. You can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. Thanks for listening and have a great day.